Hey, pod classmates, welcome to another mini pod. This is a very special mini pod because it's not only my first mini pod post summer break, it's also my first podcast as a fake administrator. See, about 10 days ago, I was promoted to something called Teacher on Special Assignment, or TOSA, if you're down with that acronym life. In today's episode, I'm going to share the story of how this happened, as well as some thoughts I have on the whole situation of me not being in a classroom anymore. I'm also going to answer a bunch of listener questions today, as I wasn't able to get to the questions that I had lined up for last week. Just a reminder that next week, I'll be back to my regular schedule of interview shows, followed by mini-pods that dive deep into educational issues. Oh, and one more thing. Thank you to those of you who have left your written reviews. Really appreciate it. You guys have said a lot of really nice things. Uh, It's almost like I've paid you already, but I haven't, I swear. Uh, Remember, you still have a couple of weeks to get those interviews in and win the $50 Amazon gift card. So if you haven't gone ahead and reviewed the show, get on that. Seriously, what are you waiting for? All you have to do is write a review, take a screen grab of the post, and email it to me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com, and you could win 50 Amazon dollars, which... The way things are going, it's probably going to be our national currency within the next three to five years. Okay, so let's get the show started. But first, a fake commercial break. Today's episode is brought to you by Geometric Compasses. Ever want to give yourself a superficial stab wound while fishing through your bag for a pen or pencil? Then try Geometric Compasses. That's right, Geometric Compasses. Teaching children the harsh realities of knife play since 1597. Welcome to the show. My name is Jason West. You can find me on all major forms of social media with the username at teachmemrwest, or you can email me at podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. All right, let's get into it with some listener questions. Remember, if you have a question, go ahead and hit me up on social media or email me. I promise I'll do my best to answer your questions on or off the air. The first question this week is courtesy of at sweet LV. The question is, I've been curious about the role you've played in the lives of students with SPED needs. Do you usually get students that also get RSP support? If so, how do you connect with them? Have you been invited to their IEP meetings? If so, what are they like? Thank you for the questions. So to be clear, I have never had a single day as a classroom teacher where I didn't interact with a special education student. I have also never taught a class that didn't have special education students who also received RSP support. RSP, for those of you who aren't in education, stands for Resources Specialist Program, and it's designed to give additional support to children with learning disabilities while also giving them strategies to help them succeed in their classes and education as a whole. Now, to your question about how to connect with these students, I mean, I connect with my special education students the same way I connect with all of my students, only maybe with a little bit more patience. Yes, I've attended many IEP meetings. IEP, again, for those of you who aren't in education, stands for Individualized Education Program, 
And yes, it's really hard to keep track of all the acronyms we have in education. They're like cicadas in that every few years it feels like we get a thousand new acronyms and also like cicadas. These acronyms are equally as annoying to hear. Uh, anyway, the IEP is a document that is specifically developed for each student who has special needs related to their education. It's created by a team of teachers, so special education, general education, and even elective teachers. And it's reviewed and potentially revised multiple times every school year. Now, I can't exactly go into detail about what specific IEP meetings were like, but generally, I have found them to be extremely illuminating as an educator. Often, I have found that a student with special needs is either not as forthcoming or simply isn't able to clearly articulate what their home life is like or the struggles they have had in the past. The IEP meeting is great because it allows for teachers to get to know the child's guardians, the child's history, and what life is like, generally speaking, for the child at home. I rarely walked away from an IEP meeting without learning something new about a student that I could use to improve my teaching practices. So if you're a teacher and you haven't attended an IEP meeting because you've been busy or if you simply haven't been invited, do whatever you can to block off some of that precious prep time so that you can attend or just reach out to the special education teacher and invite yourself to an IEP meeting. For the teacher, it can take as little as 10 minutes of your time and I promise you will learn a lot and you will grow a lot as an educator. Okay, so the next question is, recognizing that guns don't belong in schools, shouldn't teachers still have some level of ongoing threat avoidance and self-defense training? What obligations should teachers or schools have when protecting their students' physical safety? This is from at Matt Horvitz. Man, that is deep. But it's a really important set of questions. Um, in terms of ongoing threat avoidance, many schools already provide staff trainings on what to do in case of an active shooter situation, and unfortunately the answer isn't wet yourself in a corner because that's exactly how I'd imagine I'd handle that situation otherwise. In terms of self-defense training, look, we can't seem to get our government, local or federal, to agree on equitable teaching salaries or health benefits, or even who's the best Twilight beefcake. The Democrats are all... Healthcare is a right, and Jacob was always there for Bella, unlike Edward, who just up and left her. Whereas, of course, the Republicans are all like, healthcare is a privilege, and Edward is a wealthy demigod who loved Bella, even in spite of the fact that she was a human and voted for Hillary. That's right. You come to pod class for the humorous spin on the world of education, but you stay for the blazing hot takes on Twilight. In any case, our current government doesn't seem to want to agree on anything lately, so to expect them to suddenly arrive at a consensus around self-defense budgeting for teachers, it's a long shot at best. What makes this such an important question is that, as recently as a few days ago, the New York Times reported that Betsy DeVos and her Department of Education, if you can use that term loosely, was considering letting individual states use federal funds to pay for gun programs for their public schools. Frankly, this is brilliant, because while school safety is an extremely complex issue, DeVos's inquiry has given us a very simple answer. No. No, they absolutely should not. And follow-up question, are you drunk? Because no sober person would ever suggest this as a viable response to a very complex problem. And that's what this is. A complex problem. And the only way to solve a complex problem is with a solution that is, unfortunately, not quite as cut and dry. 
It's been proven that schools that take a more holistic approach to education by engaging administrators, teachers, students, parents, families, and local community partners have fewer behavioral issues as a whole. But even still, this holistic approach doesn't work if mental health services aren't readily available for students who are identified as being in need. In nearly every single school shooting, survivors were all quick to point out how unsurprising it was that it was that person who carried out the heinous act. But even still, the holistic approach and readily available mental health services aren't enough because, for a variety of reasons, not every student with mental health issues can be reached in a timely manner. Now, I could do a whole mini-pod on this topic. In fact, I may still yet. But for the sake of time, I'll just jump right to the end, where all that's left is, and I know this is going to upset some people, we can't possibly allow guns to remain this accessible. Now, of course, putting restrictions on guns won't end school violence and it won't solve the mental or emotional issues our children face. But it will certainly keep our children from getting shot at in the classroom and it will more immediately eliminate the need to have stupid debates like, should teachers be the ones to shoot or potentially kill children who pose a threat to others? Or should they focus on more important things like teaching their content, connecting with kids, and having rigorous email debates on whether or not The Bachelor is an abomination or not? Which, side note, it is. It's just terrible. It's the blue cheese of television. Can we please move on and talk about something else now? Okay, this next question, in a shift of tone, is from at Jacqueline Anaya A. She asks, what is the hardest thing about being a teacher? Um, honestly, there are a lot of hard things about being a teacher. Now, that doesn't mean it's not like the best job ever, because it is. But there are a lot of challenges that come with the territory. For example, recognizing that, try as you might, you won't be able to affect as much change in every single student's life, especially in the students you feel could use some extra positivity. Or the challenge of having to justify your work schedule to, frankly, far too many people. Or how about how Hollywood keeps feeding us this ideal that being an effective teacher is one part savior, one part court jester? Why does every teacher have to be like goddamn Patch Adams? By the way, Did you ever notice how Patch Adams was the only time we had a movie depicting doctors like court jester messiahs? Because every doctor who saw that movie collectively said, uh, hell no, do that again and nobody's getting a flu shot this year. So yeah, lots of challenges with being a teacher. But honestly, for me, the most challenging thing is something I mentioned in the last podcast with Miriam Korn. Teaching feels a lot like yelling out at the Grand Canyon. Sometimes you'll hear the echo come back to you, but... Most times you won't. Your voice will just stay out there in the abyss. And you have to be okay with that. Teaching is one of the best jobs ever, but it's also one of the most frustrating jobs because it's one of the few jobs where you don't typically get to see the fruits of your labors. And this is, in my opinion, the hardest thing about being a teacher. Coming to school every day, every year, all while keeping the faith that what you are doing is not only good for kids, but that it's making a lasting difference in their lives because you'll almost never get to see or hear about it, even when it does. Having blind faith and devotion is hard, especially when the expectations of society weigh so heavily. All right, so the last question, this one is care of at Mere Teaching, who asks, 
is the transition from teacher to admin stressful? Well, this seems like the perfect opportunity to get into how my summer ended. Um, so in order to tell you exactly what happened, I need to go way back, like almost an entire year back. Uh, I had what I would say was maybe the most challenging and stressful year as a teacher I've ever had in 2017 going into 2018. Um, our school started uh, the pathway system and they started a new bell schedule system. And in many ways, I felt like a first year teacher all over again because all these systems that I had worked on and crafted and perfected had suddenly gone right out the window. And not only that, but the way the pathway system worked, the pathway that I was in was almost 90% boys. And it was also the lowest achieving pathway. So I had a group of boys right after lunch who were already coming into the school year fairly behind. Um, and on top of that, this one class in particular was just sort of riddled with students that had uh, a diagnosis of emotional disturbance or certain special ed needs uh, or certain uh, language deficiencies. Um, not that any of those individually can be a problem, but when you have almost an entire class of 32, each of them having their own unique classified issue uh, it becomes really challenging to sort of meet the needs of every single one of those students. And then it becomes way more about management than it does about content delivery, which is hard for me because I like to do both. Um, and on top of all of this, I have known this for a long time, but my biggest weakness as a teacher is boys who think they're funny. Uh, I can, you can give me a class of girls who are the sassiest girls you've ever seen in your life. And I could handle that. I could deal with that. And in a month, that class will be clicking like a well-oiled machine. But for some reason, boys who come in and think that they are funny, it is just so hard for me to wrap my brain around, um, which is ironic because I was once a boy. Uh, and even today, I think I'm funny, but I'm probably not as funny as I think I am. And... So you'd think I'd be able to connect more with them, but no, it just, it's a weak point of mine. And as much as I've uh, grown from that experience, it's still the weakest spot of my teaching. Uh, so recently I posted on Instagram a video of a guy in a kayak on the ledge of a snow bank, of like a big cliff covered in snow. And I said, this summarizes my school year. And it really does, I you know, very enthusiastically coming up to the edge like this is going to be great and then within half a second <laughs> it just was like oh no this is not going to go the way I thought it would and I'm tumbling and fumbling and just all the way down and I get to the very bottom and everyone looks over the ledge like oh my god did he die did he not make it and the guy just gets up and he waves hey I'm okay everyone and then immediately gets right back in the boat and starts paddling down the hill some more and I feel like that was exactly how I was this year I just felt like I was falling and stumbling and occasionally getting my bearings and then falling again. And by the end of the year, you know, everyone was like, hey, man, are you all right? And I was just like, you know what? 
new year, let's get back into it. And I was in my classroom uh, at the very end of summer. I had decided I was going to just completely redo the structure of my class setup. Uh, not for Instagram, not for Pinterest, not for anything other than functionality, comfort, and to create further a sense of belonging for my students. So I was in my classroom, I had basically torn it to pieces. I had taken stuff down, I had taken apart furniture, I had moved stuff. And I had students who were in my classroom who were no longer my students, they were just in my classroom helping me out. And this was on a Thursday, and I get an email from a principal at another high school in our district, the biggest one in our district, uh, saying, hey, uh, I was having a conversation this morning with somebody from the district office, and your name came up. They said you were doing really great things and that you wanted to be an administrator one day, and we have a role that is a really great stepping stone, the job of AP coordinator. Is this something you'd be interested in? And not knowing what to do, <laughs> I uh, told all my students, I said, uh, stop what you're doing. I will be right back. And I ran to my principal's office. And fortunately, my principal was on campus at the time. And I said, hey, uh, funny thing happened. I just got this email. Uh, I wasn't planning on leaving. And I wasn't expecting this at all. I hadn't looked for a job uh, or a position outside of the school. But it sort of came to me. And I kind of feel like I don't want to take it because I have a lot of things planned for this school year. But I also feel it's important to honor this interview and the fact that they sought me out. So uh, if you, principal, tell me that you don't want me to go, of course I won't go. But I'd still like to go if that's okay with you. And she was like, oh, no, no, of course, of course. I'm not going to stop anyone from uh, advancing their career. And if you end up leaving, yes, it's only like four days before the school year. And that would be really challenging. But this is why I have the parking spot. This is like what comes with the territory. That would not be something that you have to worry about. So I go to the interview later that day because, I mean, again, we're like days away from the school year. So they interview me that afternoon. Um, and they basically laid out the ideal situation for me. They said, we have this job. You basically get to be a fake principal of your own school. You would be managing all of the advanced placement classes. You'd be working with teachers and helping them with their teaching practices and embracing equity and access and talking to them about uh, fair and equitable grading systems. And you would also work with AP students to support them. And of course, you'd be responsible for making sure that the whole AP tests in May run smoothly. Basically, it checked all these boxes and I kind of felt like this was not an opportunity that was going to come all too often. And so uh, with a very heavy heart, I uh, called my principal and I said, I'm going to take this position. Um, and it was, you know, she was very gracious about it. She said, congratulations and all that. But uh, it was very hard. And, you know, hearing from a bunch of students uh, and hearing from a bunch of of my coworkers, you know, you, Kanye West has said a lot of insane things. Um, but 
one of my favorite things that he said in the past in a song of his. Uh, he said, uh, people never get the flowers while they can still smell them. And in this moment, I mean, I received so many texts and so many emails and so many messages via Instagram from former students with just like the warmest, nicest things to say. And uh, yeah, so it was it was really heartwarming and I didn't quite know the impact that I was having, which kind of went into my last question about one of the more challenging things about being a teacher. But um, yeah, so to answer the question about is the transition from teacher to admin stressful? I mean, I don't really know yet. It's still really new, but I will say that uh, the choice is stressful. I would say that I have been prepared for this position for years, but I was not prepared, nor do I think I would have ever been truly prepared to not be a classroom teacher. Um, but that is where I am today. And it's a very weird feeling. The first week of school has come and gone and I have not had a class to teach. I've been setting up my room. I've been interacting with teachers. I've been planning for the year. Um, but you can bet that every time I see a student, oh, hey, how's it going? My name's Mr. West. I'm new here. What's your name? Are you an AP student? I just, I need to interact with students because the second that I stop interacting with students is the second that I just don't feel complete or secure in my place in education. So that is something that I have learned about myself that going forward, no matter how far I choose to climb in this career, uh, ultimately, I need that daily interaction with students because that is, um, that's the secret sauce that makes the whole thing work, right? Um, yeah, that is my story and that is how my summer ended. And I hope I answered that question the best I can. I, I'll tell you what, <laughs> ask me again in a few months and I might have a more complete answer about how stressful admin life is. Um, yeah. So that is our show. If you have any thoughts on today's episode, please feel free to hit me up on social media. I can be found at at Teach Me Mr. West on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can also email me your thoughts and questions to podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. I hope you come back next week for my interview with educator Kate Hummel. Kate has a really interesting story to tell as the bulk of her career took place in an international school in China. In our interview, we talk a lot about culture barriers, how the U.S. education system compares to the one in China. Is there a Chinese equivalent to Betsy DeVos? Man, I hope not. Kate also shared how Kobe Bryant held a major influence over her work in China. Anyway, it's a great interview and you're not going to want to miss it. That's all for this week. Pod class dismissed.